Welcome to Around the Writer's Table, a podcast focusing on the crossroads of creativity, craft, and conscious living for writers of all ages and backgrounds. Your hosts are Gina, Melody, and Kim Boo, three close friends and women of a certain age who bring to the table their eclectic backgrounds and unique perspectives on the trials, tribulations, and the joys of writing. So pull up a chair and get comfortable here around the writer's table. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us around the writer's table. This is Kim York, and this is episode 13 of the exciting conclusion to our critiquing uh, series, although we will definitely be talking about critiquing again at some point because it is an important part of the writer's process, uh, both self-critiquing and working with other people as they critique your writing. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, Go back and listen to episode 12, where we talk about critiquing in the earlier stages of writing, where you might work with alpha readers, or you might have a critique group. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then that is absolutely the episode you need to go listen to. You can listen to it after this one if you want. You don't have to stop, but I highly recommend that one. I'm here today with my friends and co-hosts, and I'm going to introduce them to you. And before we get started rolling, because they're, all of us have exciting things going on. So I'm here with Melody A. Scout. Good morning. And she helps her clients find their sense of home by restoring balance and harmony to their lives through plant spirit medicine and her book, Soul of the Season. She's been a great teacher for me on learning all about all of those things and applying it to my life. So highly recommended. I'm also here with Gina Edwards. Hello, everybody. Who is passionate about supporting women and finding their voices on the page and from the stage. Again, another one of my personal teachers as well as a friend. She's taught me a lot, uh, especially with her experience as a professional editor. I, of course, am Kimbu York. I am a romance novelist and former project manager who helps writers and solopreneurs find time, mojo, and motivation to create through my experience with productivity tips and advice and also sometimes writing advice. I've done, I've written a little bit. So we're going to move on in to uh, critique part two. So as I said a little bit earlier as a, at the introduction, this is part two. And what we discussed in our previous episode was the early stages of critique doesn't always mean criticism. We talked about that in the last episode where you might have alpha readers, uh, you might find critique groups, the importance of self-assessment. We talk a lot about that in the last episode, and that's an important part to bring with you into this episode. It's knowing what you need out of critique, as well as what you can offer if you're in a critique group and you're working with other writers. So you know, the, the old saying, know thyself, is an important part of the whole critique process, especially though in the early stages as you get into the later stages as we're talking about today. Still very important, um, but we do talk about that in more detail and how to make that assessment. Uh, Gina had a worksheet with that episode, so uh, definitely go back and check that out because download that worksheet, go through it. Uh, Gina really knows how to make things clear when you're having those difficult questions of yourself, so highly recommended that one. I am going to go ahead and turn it over to Gina right now, which she's going to talk to us a little bit about that tricky, thorny question, critique from others versus editing. 
and also some other experiences that may not be so great sometimes. So, Gina? <laughs> so getting critique from others, being involved in a critique group or feedback group, um, my experience, as I mentioned in the last episode, is a sort of a love-hate relationship with that. And I find that critique groups are most helpful to me when I am at a a later stage. I'm not saying that it's like ready for publication, but when I know that I have worked on something, I've done my own assessment of that piece as much as I possibly can within the limits of my capabilities, and then I'm ready to hand it off to someone else to give me some feedback on that. And that differs very much from the editing process. When uh, you're involved in a in a critique group or uh, using beta readers, those are typically non-professionals. They may be other writer friends, but they're not necessarily an editing professional. When you have the manuscript to the point where you feel like you've done everything that you possibly can with it, you've gotten feedback from whoever you want to get the feedback from, and you're ready to hand it off to a professional editor, knowing your strengths and weaknesses which again is something we talked about in the last episode, is really important here. Um, Oftentimes when a writer hands off their work to a professional for the first time, it can be a little touchy. (laughs) I always try to be very (laughs) aware. (laughs) (laughs) I always try to be very aware of of the writer's experience level in terms of, you know, have they ever used an editor before? Have they used uh, a beta readers or have they been involved in critique groups? Because that will give me indications of how attuned they are to their own writing process, to what their strengths and weaknesses are, and how skilled they may be or not at accepting feedback. As an editor, I feel like the most beneficial thing that I can do is to ask quality questions, which is something we also talked about uh, in terms of the critique group. The editor, of course, will will kind of hopefully take you to a different level uh, in doing that. So let's talk a little bit about beta readers first, uh, because like I said, those are typically non-professional readers. These are maybe other writers who can provide you um, useful feedback and suggestions for your book before you send it off to a professional editor or submit it to, to an agent or publisher. It's sort of a a pre-publication read-through. Now, this is, beta readers aren't any substitute for the editing or the proofreading process. They should be paired with, (laughs) 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 they should be paired with that process, along with your own self-editing process, like we talked about in the last episode. So I do not advise asking your parents or your siblings or you know, an aunt or in some cases, even a closest friend to be a beta reader, because what you're looking for is really something from both a reader and a writer perspective. Uh, Some people will use non-writers in their in their beta group. And I think that that can be a benefit when you know that you're strictly looking for reader perspective. 
If, however, you are looking to improve your craft, using beta readers who are also writers is a good avenue to take. And so knowing what your expectations are and what you're looking for from the beta readers that you provide your manuscript to, and also guiding them somewhat. If you, if you turn your manuscript over to a beta reader and you just say, give me feedback or tell me what you think, you're not going to get anything that you can act on. And so, and you may get something you true. wish you never saw. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so being able to give them maybe a set of questions, like if you know what your strengths and weaknesses are, or if you have some very specific concerns about that project, then you can tune in on some questions that you can ask them that will give you something substantive that you can really um, act upon when you're doing your revisions after you get back your feedback from your beta readers. Um, there's a couple of qualities that I think it's helpful to look for in uh, finding beta readers. Someone who is interested in your genre. At, they may not necessarily write in your genre, uh, but at least have some sort of an interest in it. You don't want to ask somebody who hates history to read your historical fiction. <laughs> um, that's not going to serve you. Um, somebody who somebody that you feel like can be open and honest with you in a respectful manner, somebody who can be forthright in delivering that feedback to you. Because again, if you just get back, oh, I really liked that scene, or, you know, I really like that character, that's not going to give you anything of substance to act upon. You also want to make sure that that person is reliable because you don't want to hand off that manuscript and then have them keep it for two or three or four months. You want to be able to give them a time frame within which to deliver that feedback to you and be certain that they're going to live up to that that request from you. Sometimes it's a good idea if you know that you want to have feedback from at least five people, ask 10 because there are going to be people who are not going to be able to follow through. You know, life comes up, even if they do tend to be reliable and say that they can meet your, your expectation, uh, things happen and there are going to be some people that aren't going to be able to, to follow through with that. Um, beta readers can be found in sometimes your local writing group uh, or your regional writing group if you're lucky enough to have those uh, in your area. Um, you might, uh, if you're on social media, active on social media, then you might be able to request some of your writing groups that you may be involved in, like on Facebook. Uh, you might be able to, to request beta groups there. Um, as I said, asking for more uh, people to participate than you really need is typically uh, a good idea. But you want to be able to make some significant improvements to your manuscript after getting feedback from the beta readers. So just make sure that you're getting people that, that you know that you can rely on who are going to give you honest feedback. Mm, good points. Very good points. Absolutely. So what kinds of questions should you ask your beta reader? Obviously, it's going to depend on your genre. Uh, it's going to depend also on how well you know your strengths and weaknesses as a writer. Uh, if you know that you're having certain challenges about making a character really three-dimensional and believable, then you want to ask about that character. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there a little bit because that is so what my beta readers are trained to do. Like, mm. uh, I, will, I will often, you know, like, she gasped. And they'll be like, well, okay, she gasped, but what was her emotions? What was she feeling? And I have one beta reader who will literally just go through and like, what are they feeling? Like, that's her comment. And it's like, okay, what are they feeling? 
Yeah. Mm. And there's like 400 of those comments. Like, what are they feeling? What are they? Because she knows, uh, like I said in the last episode, I'm a radio school writer. I like lots of dialogue, very little description. And so I'll just write something and there'll be no clear, there'll be no insight into what the character is feeling, even if it's from their point of view. She she knows my style. I'm comfortable with her. She She knows that I take that that kind of advice really well but she also knows that that's what my stories need because i yes. just i just skip that part i'm like yeah it was a tree was it tall was it short was it leafy was it winter was it summer what are you doing with the tree here i don't it's a tree like okay get off my case but no. <laughs> um, something that i should have probably said earlier in this discussion about beta readers is that you never want to give your beta readers an early draft you want your beta readers to, to see what you consider a, a finished manuscript. Because if you're still in the, in the development stage of that story, you know, if you've still got uh, plot threads that are unfinished or characters that aren't fully developed, then you are not going to be able to, again, to get that substantive feedback from your beta readers. So you want to make sure that you're giving them as much of a finished draft as you possibly can. I'm, I'm going to push back on you on that one, Gina. Oh, Sorry. Good. I'm, I'm okay. going to push back on you with that yep. one because I'm a pantser. And so I rarely have a finished story by the time I get to my beta readers, by the time I'm working in my beta readers. And oftentimes that's because I've hit a wall with the story. And my beta readers know my genre. They know my writing style. They know what I'm looking for. And so they can come in and I'm just like, I'm not asking them what happens next, but I'm like, what are your expectations? Like, what do you want to see with these characters? What's going on? And it's different from an alpha reader because they're not just there to like cheer me on and say the story's great and and ask questions about what they want to see. And and that I'm looking for critique. I'm looking for beta readers who know the genre and understand the kind of characters I write. But many times I will give them stories that aren't finished because I need to get that feedback from them, that critique, that analysis from people who know the genre and who are writers to help me figure out what I did wrong to write myself in that corner and then back up and finish it. So usually I give, oftentimes I give writers a story when I'm two thirds of the way through, like not, not really early stages. And then again, when I've got a finished draft. So that's just my experience with it, honestly, but that's because I'm a pantser. So I think that makes a difference. It does make a difference because I'm definitely not a pantser and I love that we have different <laughs> perspectives and what experiences. What is the opposite of a pantser? <laughs> a planner. Someone who has outlines and like, oh. oh, I don't know, pieces of paper that have are like index cards that like, a I don't know. Storyline. Storyline and yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah. notes on the wall. Yes, yeah, so, I don't do none of that shit. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a little bit between Gina and Kimbu because I see value in both of those. And this is, I think, for me, another uh, good example about knowing yourself and what you want and what you mm. need. And you can go outside both of those things and present it too soon. Now, Kimbo, it sounds like you have a following of people who know you, know your genre, and you can trust and rely on them yeah, to give true. you good, decent feedback. Mm -hmm. If you don't know people, I would not recommend giving your work <laughs> in early stages at all. I learned that lesson the hard way. Good, Coda. That's true. Yeah, on I the, agree with on that. On the other end of the scale, 
Um, some of us who have perfectionistic tendencies. I who shall know. remain unnamed. Yeah. And <laughs> we want it to be as perfect as possible before we hand it to our beta readers. And and so there's some value in that as well. But if you've been holding, holding for a long time before you let anybody see it, you know, maybe think about what is that for you personally? What are any challenges? Because sometimes they're really valuable if you get stuck, like, like Kimbu was talking about, or um, if you want to make sure things are going in the direction you want. So that's my feedback on, on beta readers. <laughs> And when to get, when to ask. Yeah, I love that we've got these different perspectives and different experiences here because no two writers are alike, right? Absolutely. Uh, And so one thing that I think all of us are in agreement with in terms of what we want our listeners to get from this is for them to discover their own process. And so I think it's great that we do have some differences here in the way that we approach things so that our listeners can hear that it is not, being a writer is not a singular experience. It's not going to be the same for everybody. And Mm -hmm. giving them uh, ideas about how they can approach things differently um, so that they can learn what their process is and be able to Mm -hmm. live the fullest writing life. So I appreciate you all sharing um, our differences of opinion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, it comes back to what Melody's been saying over. It's like, you got to know yourself. You got to have that Mm -hmm. self-assessment because like, yeah, obviously if I know myself that if I tried to wait until I finished with the story, it would never get to the beta readers because it would never get finished. (laughs) (laughs) Stuck in a drawer somewhere. (laughs) And when I uh, finally, uh, sent my book soul of the seasons to beta readers i think i had 12 or 14 people that volunteered to read for me it's also important to understand your genre and the work you've done i had soul of the seasons is uh it's dense with Mm -hmm. wisdom ancient wisdom um it is not a casual read i had over a hundred thousand words in you know in the draft when I set it out to my beta readers. And out of that 12 or 14, I probably got three or four really good responses back, Mm -hmm. you know, and and understand that's going to be part of the process. Don't become Mm -hmm. brokenhearted if people Mm -hmm. midway say, I can't do this. This is a bigger commitment than I expected. I had one person when I specifically said, I do not need proofreading. Um, dropped it midstream and said, oh, you have too many commas. I just can't even read it anymore. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. Okay, then. <laughs> I, although I have had a similar experience. I had one novel that I had a, a friend beta reading, and she's a writer, and a, so you know, I was at the beta reading stage, and she sent it back to me, and she was like, look, I love your writing. I love the setup. I hate the main character because... I went through a similar thing and it's emotionally triggering for me. It's like, it wasn't badly written. 
It wasn't anything, but she could not finish the story because it was mm. too psychologically upsetting for her to read about that character's journey. She mm. couldn't do it. And so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, <laughs> not quite as too many commas, but okay, all right, you know. But sometimes people just won't be able to finish it for their own reasons and it has nothing to do with you. It has absolutely nothing to do with you and your writing. And, and you know, if a beta reader does not follow through for, for whatever reason, that's no reflection on your capability as a writer or the writing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people ask whether the beta reader process, you know, works for nonfiction books. And, of course, Melody's experience proves that, yes, it, it, it certainly is applicable to nonfiction as well. And I think that when you do have a nonfiction book, that it's helpful to include somebody who maybe has a knowledge of that topic. It's also mm-hmm. helpful if you have someone who maybe has a need for the process that is discussed in that nonfiction mm-hmm. book, if it's that type of book, or maybe somebody who has even overcome whatever that book might be about. Um, so getting people who have the different sets of experiences and perspectives um, so that you can get their take on what you put what you put down on the page. And, and I did circle back around, actually, after taking in what uh, one of the a couple of the early beta readers commented on. Um, and one was it stung a little bit, but she said, you sound like you're up on your soapbox a lot. Hmm. and when I went back through it I could see how true that was you know I found a way to wedge in some of my personal grievances with the world in general (laughs) into every chapter I don't know what that's about (laughs) (laughs) and you know so I I went through and I I scoured a bunch about because I don't want to preach to people I I want them to invite them into my work and then uh, when I took uh, that into consideration and, you know, the revisions Gina recommended because she was my editor, um, we created a great finished pos- uh, product, I believe, cut out 100 pages. Um, it, and even when I went back and had two other beta readers look it over again, um, one made a what I feel was a really valuable comment. And she said, you know, this other stuff is really interesting, but you really shine when you talk about the emotions and how they work Mm -hmm. in our lives and how we, Mm -hmm. she goes, that is where you shine. And so I trimmed another hundred pages out because it's, to me, it was fascinating information, but it wasn't necessary in the book that I was creating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as Gina kindly reminded me, don't throw those away. <laughs> great seedlings. Never throw it away. Never great away. seedlings for next, you know, when you want to expand because this information in Soul of Season is like endless and applicable to everyone, I believe. Anyway, so that was my sort of two tiered uh, experience with beta readers, and they were both valuable. So something that I have uh, seen happen is that authors will go through this process of, of, uh, of gathering beta readers and getting their feedback, and then they will completely dismiss everything that they receive. <laughs> uh, now, that uh, sounds like a horrible thing, but honestly, if you are fully tuned into the intentions of your book, 
then maybe that was appropriate. Mm-hmm. You don't have mm-hmm. to incorporate every bit of feedback that you get. And that's a mistake that I see a lot of, of newer writers make is that they think just because somebody says something that they maybe didn't didn't get this or would, you know, maybe like to see this done a little bit differently. That doesn't mean that you have to follow that suggestion or that piece of feedback to the T if it doesn't match the intentions for what you meant the book to accomplish. So what you do with the feedback in the end is completely up to you. It isn't necessary to heed every suggestion, but do be respectful of your beta readers. If you engage in this process, whether you act on every single comment and suggestion and insight that you get, be sure that you honor and acknowledge the time and the energy that these individuals have gifted to you uh, as your beta readers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and if in in I, I I'm not too sure about the nonfiction or the literature, but I do know in the genre fictionary, if you have people who are beta readers, usually they're going to get a free copy of the finished product. Absolutely, yes. I yeah, did. Once, that. It, once I did it's published, and and I would I'll send people in whatever format they want, they get they get a free copy of it. Absolutely, and that was such a good point, uh, Gina, because it's about knowing your work. And knowing your vision for your work, because one of the first round of beta readers, you know, we talked about this and, you know, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast on spring, but the core emotion in spring is anger. And so I have a whole chapter about anger and how we interact. What is our relationship with anger? And her feedback was, you really need to tone that down or eliminate that. Because anger is a bad thing and you do not want to be promoting people to be angry. And I like, nope, this is pretty essential. You know, I just like (laughs) thanked her for her comments. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, anger is probably one of the most talked about subjects when I go out and talk to people. Or I it's do funny because I got I got similar with my book um, Grieving Futures, which is a nonfiction memoir about my life after my parents died. And uh, one of the early, early drafts, and this was years and years and years before I even finished the book. But they said something similar about the chapter where I talk about my codependency with my mother, who had a lot of mental illnesses. There's a lot of anger in that chapter. And she's like, well, people don't want to hear you be angry about someone who's dead. And I'm like, well too bad because i'm angry (laughs) she's dead so that's how we're going that's how we're rolling (laughs) and again it's more a reflection on the reader yeah and where they are with that material than it is yours so if you know your know your material you know your content then stick with what you know in your gut and that whole idea of knowing what the intent of your work is and being able to discern which we talked about in the last episode, being able to discern what feedback to take and what to let go of. Um, you know, that's been the, the focus of our last two episodes. And ladies, I think that even though we were going to go into a discussion of editing and the different kinds of editors, that right there is a whole nother episode. So I think you're right. <laughs> I think we have. Yeah. We have probably given our readers enough to digest in this in this one episode, and I think that probably a, another worksheet on beta readers uh, will make mm. available with this episode at our website, aroundthewriterstable.com, and you can also listen to these episodes on your favorite 
platform, but be sure and go to our website to download the worksheets. We also had one in our last episode on appraising your own work, which is an important part of the of the revising and um, and editing process as well. Thank you, Gina. And thank you. I want to say thank you for the, we're going to include this in this episode, some questions to ask your beta readers because you presented me with a list of them and they were Mm -hmm. invaluable in extracting what I needed from my beta readers. So listeners, check that out. Excellent. So next issue, uh, issue, look at me, I'm thinking like a writer, like the next issue of this magazine, (laughs) no, the next episode of this podcast, it's going to be episode 14. Uh, We are actually branching back or turning back into uh, seasons of writing or seasons for writers um, and be talking about winter. And so Melody, I'm going to turn you over to you to give our listeners a little bit of a sneak peek on what that episode is going to be about. We will eventually do an episode on editors, working with editors, um, how to do that. And of course, our listeners will be the first to know when we get that one in the can and get ready to roll that out. But next episode is about winter. So what's that really going to be about, Melody? Oh, I I love the season of winter. In fact, I just spent a couple of weeks up in snowy Wisconsin enjoying the cold and the snow up there. My God, that was a lot of snow. She posted photographs on (laughs) on Facebook and was like, oh, I love a snowstorm. And I'm like, wow, that looks awful and cold. And I'm going to stay here in Florida right now. It's like, what? Yeah. Well, see, I get to come back to Florida. (laughs) I don't have to stay in it till May. Uh, But uh, in the in a natural world, the season of winter is a time of rest, quiet, going within. You know, our it's not the high high energy productivity, got to get everything done phase. It's about slowing down, going. It's where our creativity lies. It's where our curiosity lies. It's about death, and when to give things a good death and let them go. So we're going to talk about how that connects with the writing process because we as a culture are not great at rest Mm. and being quiet. Yours truly included. So (laughs) I'm going to be excited to talk about this because I'm liking winter more and more with each passing year, which is a little weird, but I'm over here raising my hand about not knowing how to rest. (laughs) (laughs) and i would i would add into that not knowing how to grieve like a lot of a lot of writers have like the postpartum after your book's done and published and out yeah so that's that's an important part of it too definitely Mm -hmm. uh yes we will mm, yeah we will definitely talk more about that so thank you listeners for being here we've enjoyed being with you thank you for indulging us in this conversation about critiques and um, all things writing. I hope you'll join us for the next episode. All right. See you next time. For listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us around the writer's table. Please feel free to suggest a topic or a guest by emailing info at aroundtheriderstable.com. Music provided with gracious permission by Langtree. A link to their music is on our homepage at AroundTheWritersTable.com. Everyone here around the Writers Table wishes you joy in your writing and everyday grace in your living. Take care until next time.